0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Okay, if you did don't stop screaming now like no, this. No, because and it is. I'm just being syndrome, you don't, civilized. I, you I can't over do this. Over like I, I can't do this right now. And don't say I'm, I'm not civilized. Don't say that. I'm getting Stop. to the Stop. Just say um, Just hey, Jump over. Do what you want to do. Sinjin? Tanya? D- jumping over means leaving you the f- behind. Then go! So if you want me to jump over, you I'll f- f- do behind. it. You might just... Yes, I free. will, Sinjin! Oh my God, you f- <laughs> going back and forth on whether or not to record a 90 Day Fiance recap, but because it's been two weeks and this is actually a pretty juicy episode, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Let's do it, you guys. I, um, wow, this was really, um, frustrating, but also very interesting, and I I don't know where I stand on a lot of the couples right now. I'm going to start with, gosh, um, Michael and Juliana, because they were, I think, the most boring, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so, we started off with Michael, or actually, we didn't see Michael at all. We, it was basically just like the Juliana and Sarah show, and the show was 10 times better because of it. <laughs> um, we did the only really thing that we saw of Michael was that he had bought Juliana a bicycle, and she was talking about how free she feels now because she can't drive yet, and just now that she's able to do whatever she wants on her bike. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, yeah, there's really something to be said about a woman who is so young and so young looking uh, buying a bike for your, um, you know, basically child bride. (laughs) It's a a choice. It's a choice. Um, But anyway, she rides over to Sarah's house because she had to drop over some clothes for Cece's cheerleading and... um, and they sit down and have coffee. And she says that basically she feels kind of useless not being able to work yet and that she tells this, like, incredible story about her past, about how she met, you know, about her modeling and her work experience. And basically said, like, she started working... Um, at like 14 or 15 modeling and she got recruited by some big um, models in Sao Paulo. They came to her town and recruited her. And so she did that for a few months and then things didn't really work out the way she expected them to. Um, So then she went back home to her hometown and really got into religion. She said that it's basically, she felt like, looking back at the religion or the church she went to is more of a cult and that basically like you could go to hell for any old reason whatsoever. And so, um, then she tells us that's where she met her husband. So at this point she's now 17 and her fiance or the guy that she meets, who's her eventual husband is 34. Yikes. Um, she said that the pastor introduced them to each other and that he was like pretty nice that they only really knew each other about four months before they got married. And basically the day that they got married, he did a complete 180. He was super controlling. He um, didn't want her to work. He basically just wanted her to stay home and cook and clean. And he was just like really aggressively unkind to her. Um, so she ended up fleeing after a few months, going back to Sao Paulo and And just escaped from him. She said that she tried to tell her pastor about how he was treating her. And he didn't believe her. Um, So she spent a few months in Sao Paulo. And went back home basically just to get divorced. And then she went right back to Sao Paulo. And started working and modeling again. And um, Sarah is like really super touched by this story. And Juliana says that it was important that she tell Sarah this. Um, You know, in order to get closer and like Sarah basically says that that she's just not really a judgmental person and that, you know, a lot of people would look at the situation between Mike and Juliana and judge her and think that she's a gold digger. She's like, I just not really in my place to do that and she says that she really likes Juliana and she even tells her like earlier in the season she had mentioned to Juliana like right when she got there like I don't want you to parent but she said like something really sweet and and was really kind and said you know I did tell you initially that I don't want you to parent but now that I see that you have all these layers that you're a hard worker that you're a good value I just think that you're like a really you know, I appreciate that you're around to fill in the gaps with my kids. And I thought that was like a really, really sweet moment. People, I think, maybe not people, but the show kind of tried to make it seem like Sarah was going to be kind of a hard ass and really make things hard. And, you know, I think with her bringing up the pre that maybe that put a bad taste in people's mouths. And I get that. Like, she, it really wasn't her place to bring that up, even if it was, like, under concern for the kids. Like, that was a private conversation that she should have had with Michael or, you know, whatever. Sarah should not have been the first person to bring that up, but that's really war on Michael. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I love Sarah. I think she's really kind. I think she's really, like, just kind of above it all. And I think she realizes, like, the really important things in life. It's just like... She said, like, you know, like, what is it? She's like, it's not going to benefit me to be judgmental of her. Like, it would only make my life negative. And if I don't do it, it doesn't have any impact. And, like, yeah, I just really love the way she thinks. So we love Sarah. <laughs> um, what else happened? Um, then they, you know, they went to um, go to get her dress Tailored. Juliana had bought the dress in Brazil, so she just needed to get it fitted. And it was like, you know, beautiful. Of course she'd wear a potato sack and she'd look like, you know, a goddamn model. And, um, (laughs) on the way, Sarah and Juliana have this conversation and Juliana asks her like, you know, what is it that you think I should know about Michael before they get married? And we get a little insight into their marriage. And she said that, um, she first says not to give all her money to Michael. She said that when she was working, she just gave her whole checks to him and kind of let him take care of all the finances. And that that created like a, an imbalance between their relationship in which she felt like he had, you know, most of the power. And she asks if, She feels like Juliana thinks that he feels, you know, if there's like a power imbalance, she's like, well, I think he feels that way, but like, I don't. She was like, yeah, I get a girl. Um, And yeah, she also tells him, her to like, not just, um, you know, like sit in the house and cook and clean all day. Like, you know, be able to live your life. And um, yeah, that was basically it. Juliana just said that she's kind of nervous about the fact that you know, in her first marriage, her husband changed so quickly. So she's nervous about that. But she said that she really felt like Michael really loved her and cared for her. And so she is like really excited to marry the person that she loves for once. And that was really the end for them. Um, and next we're going to go to, I guess Angel and Michael, they were actually the most boring. There really wasn't much to say. She went back to Nigeria. They had a little tiff on the way, to the hotel about, um, you know, she asked Michael to tell her what exactly, uh, went on between the visa interview. <clears throat> and she, he failed to mention basically that they had had an engagement ceremony and Angel is like, you need to be, quit being so hard headed. And <laughs> I don't really know how that makes him hard headed, but, and to put his pride down, um, and basically, like, listen to her and and not just do his own thing. And then they got into another tiff about... Um, oh, God. I wish I had forgotten this part. <laughs> but he takes her to go get breakfast and... Surprise, to the surprise of absolutely nobody who watches this show, Angela, as most of the Americans are, are, is not really into the local food in the country that she's in. like, really makes a big deal about how disgusting it is. Now, granted, do I want to eat a fish? It looked like a fish had a fish inside it. Like, it swallowed the fish halfway and... Then they just happened to kill it. It looked gross. I'm not going to lie. However, it's fish. You're not going to die. People eat this all the time. (sighs) Anyway, so (laughs) the unfortunate part is Michael is going in on this fish and she's like, you won't even eat my coochie like that, but you're going in on this fish. I don't get it. I don't want to think about Angela having a vagina. Um. Let's move on. Um, Then they basically, she finds out that he had gone to his immigration lawyer and as we know from before, that their attorneys basically gave them opposite advice. His lawyer said that it would be best for them to start the K-3 process, which is a spousal visa, For her to come over to Nigeria and get married there, and then they could start the K-3 process to get him to America at that point. Her lawyer said that basically they're kind of screwed. Well, sort of. He said that she, that his denial was a suggestion of a denial. It wasn't an official denial. And so they could go back and talk to the courts and try to get that changed. Um, but that it would be like a long process, that it would be like something like nine months for them to start the whole process, you know, to appeal that denial. Or if they had to get officially denied, then it denied, then it would be like, A whole 18 months and that if basically that them getting married in nigeria wasn't a great idea because it was going to take them like 18 months for that process to go through and that's only if it works. so basically her lawyer said that like everything's pretty much touch and go and so you're better best just like continuing on the track that you're going on now um, so they argue about that, and so that's a cliffhanger. Um, next, we're gonna go to Blake and Jasmine. <sighs> Everybody keeps saying how boring Jasmine is, and I have to counter that Blake is no more entertaining. I mean, he might have like blonde Cisco hair and wear coochie sweaters and balaclavas, but that's I don't know, I can't imagine hanging out with him. <laughs> Blake seems like Every douchey L.A. in the studio guy, like at one point he's actually going into the studio and I thought I was going to see Sheena Shea's old husband, Mike. And yeah, I mean, I don't think Blake is a prize either. And frankly, I think Jasmine just is an introvert. And I think that she... And I I think I feel like she's expressed this very clearly that she has a hard time with groups of people. She's obviously in a new country, in a different part of the world. And all of this is a big adjustment. And I don't know why people aren't listening to her when she says that. But anyway, they're getting ready to go to one of Blake's performances. He's a vice president in quotes, (laughs) um, of a record label. So they're having this like small gig at a place called the Mint, which I, given the stage size, I can't imagine as like a place where the big headliner, big names are headlining. But anyway, he goes by the name of Hollow Brooks, which is, I guess the neighborhood or the park that he grew up near. Okay, see, this is why he's not really that much of a prize either. Like, how many people do we have to have to name themselves after the places that you up? Like, didn't we peek after Jay-Z? I mean, we got Halsey, and she didn't even grow up in Brooklyn. Did you guys know that Halsey is, her name is Ashley. It's Ashley. And they just changed it to Halsey. And also, like, she, quote, hung out in Halsey Street, which is a street in Brooklyn. I guess she lived there for a time. Okay, whatever. Anyway, I have a lot of feelings about Halsey. None of them are good. (laughs) But it's not about her. Um, In the car... Blake tries to touch Jasmine's face and she was, like, freaking out. And that was funny. But that was also, like, the first time that we see them actually kidding and playing around and having a good time with each other. She's laughing. She's smiling. She doesn't want him to touch her face but or her makeup. But, like, she is having a good time. And, yeah, they seem to be enjoying each other one-on-one. Um, She's still very uncomfortable with having to live with her parent, his parents and is, like, really trying to get a deadline. Blake is not being helpful, he's being very vague about whether or not, or when that can happen, and, yeah, um, okay, so they're on the way to his gig, he's, like, fine, Jasmine says that, like, he's not, he, that if this was not her fiancé, this wouldn't be her ch- first choice in music, he's, he does rap, and I have to admit, I really thought it was going to be, like, bottom-of-the-barrel shit bag, shit bag rap, and it was, like, Not horrible. It wasn't horrible. (laughs) Do I want to listen to it? No. But I think in terms of, like, people who make music on TLC, he's probably the best. So, Blake, you gotta take that compliment, my guy. Um, So, yeah, Jasmine is there with her sister. You know, we know that she doesn't like clubs because she doesn't like drinking and people being you know, raucous and drunk and silly. So she brings her sister to have fun and they have this like banquette and they basically sit there the whole time. Blake's friend, Rita, who is a thorn in my ass is like totally upset. The fact that she, Jasmine wasn't like up and dancing and blah, blah, blah. Why, why is Rita so involved? Why are all of his friends so involved? Like, this is like a, every, all of their scenes are like the worst version of Vanderpump rules. Like, just people fighting over stupid stuff, but like even more dumb than, you know, finding out that your best friend slept with your girlfriend while they were watching Drive. Um... The stakes are so low. They're so invested. I mean, and basically this is all they're scenes is just like him going to various friends and them complaining about how unfriendly she is and how she's not like getting into the fold with them and how their patience is wearing thin with her. And it's not even like, they're not saying that she's being unkind. They're just saying like, she's not really talking, which to me is like, you guys are probably putting a lot of pressure on her. You're probably asking her as we've seen, asking her all these like instigating questions about her intentions and what she plans on doing and this and that. And you're not really from what we've seen, not really trying to get to know her on like a real level. And so it's just like, they're just keep testing her to see if she's good enough for dear, sweet angel Blake And I'm not really understanding why. It gets so bad that he's in the stew with his gangster friends. um, I believe their name were Joey and Everett. Um, You know, (laughs) the names of two people (laughs) who are heavy in the rap game. Blake, Joey, and Everett. Um, Joey's hot, kind of. But then he turns into... Just like a Debbie Downer. Like, it gets so bad to the point where, like, Blake ends up leaving the studio because he is, like, tired of defending her. And they truly keep going on and on about, like, how awful she is. And it's like, I think she's just not on you level. She's just not an extrovert like you guys. And if it's a problem then that's your problem. You don't have to date this girl. You don't have to marry her. I mean, I understand that, like, you know, like, I have a tight group of friends, and it, I mean, fortunately, I like all of my friends' partners, but, like, I understand how it could be an issue if there's some sort of discord, but, like, you guys are creating the discord. Like, you guys don't have to be best friends. Like, I don't... Think there's any expectation for you to be like your partner, your friend's partner's best best friend in the whole world. Like, I, it's just silly to me. Is this an LA thing? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so that's really the end of them. Um, then I guess we'll go to Mike and Natalie. Wow. Drama, drama in Kiev, Ukraine. Um, they start with an interview, and you can tell when, like, oh, I love this. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. You know, they could start with a with a talking head interview, and and they they're not talking at first. They're just standing there, like looking at the camera. Then you can tell some shit's really going to go down. Um, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> and she has a tendency to do this. She's like basically catatonic. Her eyes are closed. Mike and Natalie are sitting next together, next to each other, um, in the interview. Neither of them are saying anything. Her eyes are closed for some reason. As I'm recording this, my eyes are closed, even though I have notes on this. I'm going to open them. <laughs> um But Mike is about to leave. It is his last day in Ukraine, and you could tell. Things are awkward. Tensions are mounting. The producer behind the camera asks if everything's okay between them. And Natalie says that, like, he's a good man. And she feels like they're in a good place. She's like, I think we're fine. And Mike doesn't really answer. Um, They ask her if she loves him. And she pauses for a long time. (laughs) And then she says, It's hard. I think we have potential because he's a good guy. And I think that we have good moments and he's sitting there looking really awkward. I just realized that my window is open and you could probably hear things. Hold on one second. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, we're back. Where were we? Okay, so, yeah, um, things are very awkward and... They ask Michael if it bothers him what she said, and he was like, well, yeah, (laughs) and Natalie says, I have feelings that will grow to love if we work on it, I'm a woman, it's okay to not be sure if you're in love with somebody, it's a lie to say that I love him, he then walks out and says, well, that's a wrap, and she, like, stares at him as he walks off and she kind of like starts to smile and then like her face tightens up real quick. And then she kind of looks at the camera again and Natalie. um, Okay. So then (laughs) there's another scene where um, he's leaving And he said he's just, like, kind of pissed and confused because Natalie has said in the past that she loves him several times, so he is not really sure what's going on. And I'm confused because it seems like there's something that isn't being said. Like, I feel like something happened off camera, and they're not being honest about what that is. Natalie seems angry, and I just feel like if Mike was so confused and so caught off guard by Natalie's behavior that I think he would have been more upset but he's not acting really upset like he's not and maybe that's just like a coping mechanism but it just seemed very fishy to me um Natalie then says her hands are clean and as he's packing she's like sitting on the duvet or not the duvet what do you call it the couch um they <laughs> she's sitting there she's got her legs propped up her jacket's on he's packing his his um uh, suitcases on the couch right next to her and she takes she's like do you want your ring she takes the ring off and like tosses it right into his suitcase and he was like thank you she goes you're welcome <laughs> and then in the talking head she's like well that was basically she basically says that it was a test and just like if he wanted to That ring back on me, he could have. She felt like he wasn't fighting for her. Um, I don't know. This is all very strange. Like I said before, that I think Natalie is weird, but that it's also like Mike's weird too, and so it's hard to like discern (laughs) which one of them is more strange. I think it at this point it's a draw. Um, Yeah, he then goes on to say that this is all about her religion and that the reason why she's acting like this is because she just wants to devote her life to her religion and, like, that's the problem. So it leads me to believe that, like, maybe she said something about wanting him to be a Christian again. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. I I just don't know. I just feel like we weren't getting the full story as to why this broke down so quickly because it, last we saw them like he was being like why are you um why is the K1 visa process happening like did you apply to the K1 visa with somebody else have you been engaged have you tried to come to America like why is this process taking so long and he was kind of accusing her so i just think that maybe something escalated and yeah i i hope we find out the real the real reason next episode um I tend to like to end with Sinjin and Tanya, but I'm not going to this time. Um, Sinjin is going to New York to pick up Tanya. She is done from her uh, staycation in herbalism in Costa Rica. He is so happy to see her, and it's very cute, even though she does not deserve it. (laughs) Um, He is really nervous because, you know, as we all know, since her being in Costa Rica, they have not really been getting along that well. They've not been communicating that well. So he's kind of like nervous and anxious to like just see her and, you know, like get that all out of the way. Um, <laughs> he brings a single Lily to the airport, which I guess is better than her grocery store flowers that she picked all the petals off of and put on the floor of the airport for somebody else to pick up. Oh, God, she really irks me. <laughs> um, but they meet, and it's, like, a very cute reuniting. He, like, jumps over the barrier to go hug her and kiss her, and, and you know, he's just, like, so excited to see her. He's so romantic. It's just, like, everything that a girl like that would want. I don't really love the attention, but, you know, Sinjin can do whatever he wants to me can run his little hair run his hands through his hair and just I don't know talk about whatever they talk about in South Africa I really don't know (laughs) um anyway so then you know they spend the night in New York and on their way to Connecticut of course they start getting into a fight Tanya is whiling like girl this bitch spent seven minutes learning about herbalism, and all of a sudden, she's going in on Sinjin about how he's unmotivated, and maybe you're too young for me, and you really need to, like, get, get things together, knowing damn well that he really can't do anything because you're not married yet, and he doesn't have a permit to work, and then she starts talking about some woodworking class he could have taken while she was gone. He was like, but that was $800. She's like, well, I told you that wasn't a problem. He's like, it is a problem. We don't have $800 for me to be spending on a week-long class. And I think that Sinjin's being very reasonable. He's saying, like... You know, there are things that I look into wanting to do. Like, I would like to be a cop or, I, or you know, I looked into being a cop or a firefighter. Like, all these opportunities and said, you know, I have goals in 10 years. I want to have land and be sustainable and be able to grow food and, and do all those things. And Tanya's just like... <laughs> Tanya is exactly who she tells on herself all the time. So Tanya is the kind of person who's like so lazy that the minute they do anything, like they are suddenly the most accomplished person and everybody is so far behind them and they're really ready to get their lives together. And like nobody else understands it like they do because she spent a month with her ass out on the beach, learning and flirting, learning how to dance and flirting with her dance instructor. Okay, girl. <laughs> okay. So then they get into a fight and Sinjin was making points here, there, everywhere. She goes saying like, I'm on the edge he said, Well you should go off the edge. She's like, Well you do you understand that if I'm pushed off the edge then that means I'm not taking you with me And he's like, Well then do it And like, she said, Maybe I'll actually maybe you're actually saving me by pushing yourself off the ledge <laughs> she starts screaming He is, like, clapping back at her left and right. I've never been more attracted to a man yelling at a woman in my life. But points were made. Points were made for you, Sinjin. And you're my boo forever. And that was really the end of that. I mean, they end up making up. And and Tanya says, like, oh, I was just, like, the transition from going to Costa Rica to back to America was just, like, I just got really anxious about, like, you know, like, getting stuff done, and, like, that's all well and good, but, like, you're not ever going to berate somebody into, like, doing better for themselves. Like, that's just not how it works. If it hasn't worked before, it's not gonna work now. And Sinjin we find out had worked in like the mines of South Africa for seven years from the time he was 18 to 25. He has a lot of like residual baggage about that. He says it was so much hard work. I know that people that died said the work that you put into it is not worth it. And I just, he just seems to have a lot of like anxiety about putting himself in a situation where he's working so hard for somebody else with very little payback. And I get it. And I understand him being like, I just want to be a little bit pickier about the moves that I make moving forward because I don't want to be in that situation again. And I get it. Like, and if you have the, I mean, and it is a luxury for him to be in, in this country and to have the time you know, before getting married and after getting married while you have this process before you can get your visa to work, like, he, it is a luxury to have the time to, like, really think about what you want to do and how you're going to, you know, contribute to society and what you're going to do. And I think that it's smart of him to be like, listen, I've only been here, like, two months or less than two months. Like, I am just taking the time to really be smart about this. And I get it. I get it. And Tanya like mentioned sometime how she basically just can't trust him because he quit his job and then said he wanted to go to Thailand. And then, um, just like, did he have a ticket? No. Just like, I guess he wanted to go the next week. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know what you expect from a South African guy. Like I, I know enough about South African dudes to know that they are going to just like take off. They're just like Australian guys. They're gonna work for some time and then they wanna go surfing somewhere. Like, that's just their vibe. And so, if you don't like that, then maybe he's not the guy for you. And he's the guy for me, so I'll take him, Tanya. Don't worry about that. <laughs> hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. um the last couple I'm gonna end it with is Anna and Marcel they were basically the featured couple of the episode things are still very bad between them she's packing his stuff very poorly <laughs> in his suitcase with the rest of the stuff that he had at her house um she's probably listening to get the fuck out by Mariah Carey I I don't know if she's a lamb or not but she seems like she would be um she said that he's coming to pick it up and then going straight back to the hotel and that she's not really trying to talk to him because he hasn't changed his mind he gets there he says you know he wants her to forgive her and he also says that his family's really bad and that he still wants to get married Anna's pissed and while I want to be excited about her being angry. I have to remind myself. Well I don't have to remind myself. It's, it's a reminder every time I look at her. Is that she put herself in the situation. They put themselves in this situation. Anna knew. Far in advance. Of him coming over from Turkey. That he was. That his family knew nothing about her kids. And that he was not planning on telling them. So as much as like. It's sad that her heart is broken, I guess like you have to be honest. You invited this man into your children's home, knowing that he was going to deny them, deny their very existence. And so I just, you know, at some point we have to take responsibility for the fact that like, even though people don't do the right thing he showed you who he was and now you're upset with him for continuing to be the person that he told you he was the whole time and i you know we have to take ownership of that we really really do i'm i'm talking to myself here <laughs> as well um so again i love the way that they have to argue with each other because she speaks such broken english to him and like is, is it isn't necessary like just to speak English or if you can't if you feel like he's not going to understand like just put it in the translator app girl that's what it's for anyway <laughs> she says love finish do not contact me again <laughs> then they both start crying like they're sitting on this love seat well Anna's sitting on the love seat Marcel's sitting in front of the love seat in like a prayer position <laughs> with his like fanny pack on and his flip-flops um, and then he like kind of starts walking out of the door and he goes, I want to kiss you. And she says, I want to punch you. <laughs> and then Marcel takes his little purse and luggage and he, he pumps it out of there. Um, the next thing we have, he's at the hotel, he's getting ready to leave. And, you know, I'm starting to get tired of this. Like, I don't know, you guys asked for this, but then things heat up as he's walking out of the hotel he sees Anna and she says that it was really important to her to take him to the airport slash try and convince him to stay. um, Mostly because this is something that really they can't go back on because I guess if you have a K-1 visa and you end up leaving the country and not before you guys get married, you can't come back to that country. So he cannot come back to America once he leaves. And so she's, you know, trying to convince him and saying, you know, like, I'm not going to ever go to Turkey. So if you are going to leave, like, this is truly, truly it for us. And it's, you know, like a very Nicholas Sparks moment. Um, it's raining outside, of course, it's very melancholy. Um, they both start bawling in the car. He's saying no cry, Anna. Um, yeah, it, he says in the talking head that it was not a good idea to tell his parents, but that he has to obey them because he's the eldest son. This is like real, real backwards. He's 38 years old, and now he says he's scared to go home. And he genuinely does seem to be scared because at check in, he keeps saying, I'm scared, I'm scared. Like, and what are they going to do to him? <laughs> What are they going to do? Um, so then, she, you know, they're both still crying. It's very emotional. She, um, you know, is walking out of the airport, and he runs out to say goodbye again. And she, I guess she was very hopeful that he was actually just going to be like, never mind, like, but he doesn't. And he ends up getting on the plane and going to Turkey, and she's really upset, and says that she thought that he was like at the very last minute going to change his mind but he doesn't and off to turkey little Marcel goes and that's that's it you guys I can't believe that I finished this so quickly um yeah I guess I'll be back next week